share a little bit about uh, what God's doing in my life over the last year. Many of us have uh, been believers and followers of Christ for many decades. And um, one of the realities is, is that the kingdom of God is like an ocean. You, once you dive in, it, it never ends. And if you, as Jesus said, those who are thirsty, come and drink, and those that are hungry, come and eat. This is the prerequisite for all spiritual growth. And is that you always remain thirsty, and you always remain hungry. And then God begins to continue to lead you in your spiritual growth. So what I would like to share is more of a personal uh, journey that the Holy Spirit has been leading me in, I would say, over the last year or so. And some of this overlap in what has been discussed. It definitely is related to the concept of Apprentice Jesus, but it deals with spiritual growth. And, um, you know, the Bible says that uh, he, it, it talks about the manifold wisdom of God. And manifold in the Greek is a concept of many-faceted wisdom of God. Meaning, we know truth, we can know a biblical truth, but there are many windows through which we can look through to, to, to grasp that truth. And I think this is what God does for us, is that when you walk with the Lord a long time, we, especially in the West, for many of us in the West, we begin to under, look to wisdom or, or the ways of God and spiritual growth through certain terminology, with certain terminology. We kind of look through the same window, and pretty soon the, the way God seems to help us in growing is that He brings disorientation into your life. And, it's, and it's, an, it's, an, it's a sovereign move of the Holy Spirit that does that. It brings you disorientation to the degree that it causes you to look at the wisdom of God and the ways of God through another window uh, of that manifold uh, view. And also, I think, begin to maybe look at it in different terminology. And when we do that, it helps us to continue on in our growth pattern. If you're, and I think this is very true with the history of the church, um, is that through the history of the church, when you look at it, different terminology, different ways, and when you're exposed to individuals from different traditions, often they are looking at the same truth that we are, but they're using different terminology and they're looking at it through it through different windows. And it really helps us when we're exposed to the diversity of the body of Christ in beginning to see things in a, in a broader, maybe a different perspective. About a year ago, and I'm going to share with some things, and I'm going to use some different terminology, and maybe 
share on things from a different angle that the Holy Spirit has been leading me in. And again, it's not in a way of bringing something new or saying this is the way it is versus this way. It's simply saying to you, this is the window I'm looking through right now. This is the window that the Lord is leading me to. This is the terminology that the Lord is leading me to for my own personal growth. About a year ago, I felt the Holy Spirit begin to work in my life in a very deep way, sovereignly. And um, there, were, there were, I could say there were external things that were going on that maybe were causing that. But a tremendous disorientation began to happen. And I knew it was the Holy Spirit's deep work in my life. And um, about that same time, uh, a friend of mine, a real close friend of mine, who's turning 60 years old, and his wife had set up a retreat. And we were going to do it in, in Damascus. Uh, but uh, It was a retreat with an Egyptian monk, an Orthodox monk who is about 65 years old, his name is Father Atef. And um, the idea was, instead of a present she was going to give him, there was, there was three of us, and this fellow that was having the birthday. And it was at the time of the uprising, so we couldn't get into Damascus, so we ended up in Italy, Florence, Italy, in a monastery. And we spent a week together with this Egyptian monk. His name is Father Atef. And he had lived many years in the desert, Egypt. He had many in seclusion. He, he, was, a, he was a very interesting guy. He, his background was a medical doctor. His father was a medical doctor. And then he felt called into a consecrated life as a monk, a ministering monk. Many times he'd be in isolation in prayer for five years at a time, two years at a time. But other times he'd be out in ministry. So we had this time... And many of us have read books. You know, we've all read the books on the early fathers. We, my doctoral work was on the history of spiritual reality. So, it, you know, sometimes we read books and, uh, about the spiritual life, the spiritualists, friends, the early fathers, all of these, these things. But it's when you actually spend time with one of the early fathers in the sense, that things begin to change. It's such a quite a different experience for, the, for a Western Christian. And I would include in that Western, Western Roman Catholicism as well as Western Protestant Evangelical to deal, to, to really interact with Eastern Orthodox. Um, and so during that time, it was week-long, morning till evening, late at night, and just discussing about spiritual life. And during this time, many of the categories were new to me about what God did for me. And I knew when I was going to this meeting, I was doing it for my friend because it was his birthday, but at the same time, I knew God was going to do something in my life because something the Holy Spirit was really, really doing deep disorientation, uh, which, in, which really brings creativity. It, it creates us to think, look through again a different window. It opens us up for new terminology and new understanding to help us move to the next phase of your spiritual growth in Christ. And so, after that time, 
I came away with some insights that weren't necessarily directly of what he said. Spirit showed me some things that were just kind of, it was hard for me to put words to them. Uh, You know, it was something that I've had to allow to bring formation to. And it was interesting because he was just going back to Cairo, the whole, um, he had just been in isolation for a year. He came out to meet us. First time he had been out of isolation of prayer for, to meet with us. So it was quite an experience. And he was going back, and that was when the uprising in Egypt started. So he went back in isolation and prayer, and all of a sudden I get an email from him, because I had personal time with him too, and he said, I'm moving to the area, to Phoenix Valley. And I, it, it was a total shock to me. His sister lives here, and it, it has to do with uh, a status of He's, he's the head of a community that called the community of the early fathers. He, he started it and leads it. It's about 4,000 Egyptians primarily. And um, so now he lives in a deep basement. Literally, you walk, you know how you, these doors, you go in the kitchen, you walk down in the basement. It's an underground basement. He calls it his cave. He says, I wanted a cave. I've been praying for a cave. And this is his cave. And he's living in isolation. I And this has provided me an opportunity, just because of this connection, I meet with him weekly. And uh, he has become uh, a friend. Uh, he's older than me, he's 65, but he, he, a father, I call him a spiritual father. He's, he's become something to me. And I just have to say, this. we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline some. He, he fasts, and does not drink every day until 5 in the afternoon, and he has a cup of coffee and vegetables. He rarely sleeps. He just prays. Now, this was very intimidating. <laughs> because when we think, when we think of spiritual disciplines, and we look at somebody like this, we often immediately say, number one, I could never do that. Because, number one, I'm married and I have kids. Or that, that's kind of the first thing. The other thing is, I, I could never discipline myself to do that. And initially, that's our, when you're with somebody like this, this is your initial experience. The more I've gotten to know him, and we have talked very deep of his own personal journey, he shared with me um, about how this came about. Now, he was a medical doctor in his background before he went into a monastic life when he was 19. And he knew that to do what we were just talking about in Cairo, no water. Okay, Everything you see on TV now is about Staying healthy, you know, you drink so much water. You have, he he did he did he's doing everything the opposite of what you're medically supposed to be doing to stay healthy, and he knew that. Okay, and he said to me when we got deeper because initially it was a process. 
and he said to me, I was sitting in a meeting one time, and the Holy Spirit told me to do this. Now, he had been fasting, he'd been doing certain things, but the Holy Spirit told him to exactly do what he's doing now. He's been doing it for 25 years. It's, it, it really struck me uh, that uh, it opened up a whole reality that spiritual disciplines are never anything you model. Okay. I just want to speak a little bit about the Western concepts. Now I'm just going to share you my own thinking. And this is, I haven't talked a lot about the formation of my own thinking and also what is happening in my own life and how I'm living this out. But you know, in the Western world, we have been very biblically centered, word-centered, and I'm, you know, truth, where to worship God in spirit and truth. And I'm, I'm very, if anyone knows me, I'm very, you know, that's very, very important, biblical truth. But I, and then, and then we had mentioned about 20 years ago or so, we knew that a lot of pastors and people that were sitting under teaching, a lot of teaching, they were finding out they weren't really growing in their, their life. They weren't really breaking through in their spiritual lives. And so a number of pastors and leaders began to write books on spiritual disciplines. And of course, we know Richard Foster and Dallas Ward, Willard, many others. And these are very important. They have done a lot of things for the Western Church. But I would also say at times, because, um, and I'll share a little bit, this has been my thinking, that I've been around a lot of people that have been very try to be engaged in a lot of spiritual disciplines and, and actually are involved in doing a lot of spiritual that are not growing either. They're praying a lot, they're fasting a lot, they're doing the activities of certain spiritual disciplines. And they, and again, I'm not, it's, it's just as much as I would emphasize the importance of the word, I would em emphasize the importance of spiritual disciplines, but but it's very easy for them to become techniques or methods that we use or practices that we use. And it's very easy for them to turn into a legalistic or religious kind of activities. We go through thinking they will lead us to spiritual growth. And one of the things I... This is the, I guess the first point is I think that spiritual disciplines are very important as long as we understand that there's, first of all, that the deeper soil that spiritual disciplines come out of is, is the, the early fathers always talked about the telos of spiritual life, meaning the ultimate goal of spiritual life. They never started with spiritual disciplines. They always started with the spiritual goal. Telos, of course, is a Greek term, which in English translations are what we understand maturity. Meaning it's like telescope. It's seen to the end. This is what we're really trying. And if you don't, if we don't keep the telos as the primary focus of why we're doing spiritual disciplines to produce that, 
then it's very easy for them to become religious, religious activities or church activities or institutional activities and we get busy doing these things and actually think that we're growing and we're not growing. We're simply going through certain activities. Um, I have come, and this is a new word I'm going to uh, utilize as the telos, for me, now this is for me, the terminology I'm using now, it's, it's much more out of the Greek or the Eastern Orthodox world, but for 1700 years we have used the word icon. And icons, many of you have, been ex have seen icons, icons have always simply been pictures or presentations that were to reflect spiritual things. And they were never meant to be worshipped, they were always meant to reflect or radiate or present a spiritual reality, whether it was Jesus or the Apostles or the Cross, it could be symbols or whatever. And I believe that, and I'm using this terminology now for myself, is that I am to become a living icon of Jesus Christ. And. This comes out, in Colossians 1.15, it says that Jesus is the exact image of the living God, of the invisible God. Now, image there in the Greek is icon. So it is a very deep, rich term for the Incarnation. It, and this is why Jesus could say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Because his life was a total reflection and radiation of the beauty and glory and character of God. And this term is used for us in our own spiritual growth. Now I'm speaking of telos, I'm not speaking of spiritual disciplines yet, and I'll, I'll just emphasize that in a minute, in how I'm starting to see spiritual disciplines. But in Colossians 3, 9 through 11, it says, you have taken off your old self with its habits, and you have put on the new self, which is being made new in the knowledge after the image of our Creator. Image is icon in the Greek. And then my, uh, probably the, a better passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. The, the Lord is the Holy Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. With unveiled faces we reflect or radiate the beauty of the Lord as He transforms us into His image with ever-increasing glory for the Lord is the Spirit. He transforms us into the Greek term, icon. So, the teleos, the goal of our spiritual lives, and I'm using this terminology, we can use apprentice for Jesus, we can use Christ-likeness, we can use all kinds of terminology, but the terminology I'm utilizing here is just another window in the wisdom of God to, to, to help us perceive the reality of what we're talking about. Because it's so easy for us 
to be familiar with Western terminology in, in the Christian world. And so I started to use the word icon because it's a biblical word. So we are to be transformed to become living icons of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus was the, the revelation, capital R. He was the icon of God. We, though, become living icons, and I would say small r, or we are the revelation, in a sense, a unveiling to reflect and radiate the beauty and the presence and the wisdom of God to others. This is the telos. And I think it's important that we always keep in mind that that is why we do spiritual disciplines. If, we, if you don't do spiritual disciplines with the understanding of the goal of what we are to be transformed into, then it's very easy for us to get into routines. Or, and, and this can be institutionalized. This can, as a group, as churches, as movements, as individuals. Now, let me talk about spiritual disciplines, and going back to Father Atta, I was very intimidated again, as I mentioned, and when we read even the early fathers, and about the disciplines that they lived, it's, it, one of the things that uh, we have to re realize is that, this is why I don't really like to term the word spiritual disciplines. I like the concept disciplines produced by the Holy Spirit. Now they're quite, it's quite a different, it's the same thing, we're saying the same thing, but it's just saying it in a different way. Why Father Atef lives his life, and I call it the life of the Spirit, we can call it disciplines, however you want to call it, his life of the categories of spiritual disciplines. When we talk about prayer and fasting, these are simply categories. They're not the actual practice. So the question is, how do we pray? And the, the way we pray is this spiritual discipline, or the lifestyle of prayer. And if you go through the history of the early fathers, and you read about them, you'll see tremendous diversity. And this really hit me in talking with Father Atef. If I felt like I needed to become spiritual or grow my faith to do what he does, I could never do it. And he told me, and this is what opened my eyes, he said, for six months I fought God to live this life that he was calling me to live for six months, because he knew, he thought, it would damage his body, because he was going from a medical perspective. And then he said, one day, I simply gave in and obeyed God. And the day he said he gave in and obeyed God in the extreme fasting, very little sleep, the lifestyle he lives now, he said the grace of empowerment was there to live that life. This is a big difference than 
you disciplining your, managing your life or disciplining your life to do something. It's an empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do something. And so this has really brought me to a place of a fresh seeking God, saying, Lord, I want you to lead me into the deep disciplines of the life of the Spirit that you want for me. And give me the ability and the empowerment to obey you. And now it's moved totally away from some of our concept of the West. I'm going to fast on Wednesdays. We're going to do this on Tuesdays. We're going. Now it's something completely that I'm still entering into. But it's something that I feel the Holy Spirit is leading me and giving me the grace to accomplish. And pretty soon I am not even thinking of managing time. It is moving into a lifestyle of a different realm. I don't know if it's not the best word. A different dimension of the deep life of the Spirit. If you live by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the the ways of the flesh. But it is not produced by us. Disciplines are shown to you. So how uh, in corporate disciplines, I think there can be corporate disciplines, but individually, I think the Holy Spirit will lead each one of us in a different way. And, and I never any longer think, because he's not married, or he doesn't have children, that I could never live this way. I am totally convinced that if we open up our hearts thirsting for deeper and we ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, lead me into the deep ways of your Spirit, the Holy Spirit will show you in the context of your life of how to lead a deeper walk in the Spirit and He will give you the grace and the empowerment to fulfill it. I no longer ever think of a monastic life separate from the normal Christian life. And it will take on different dimensions for us. Now, cleansing of the heart, which is such an important thing. I just have a few minutes. I, the Holy Spirit has really, uh, in de dealing with the whole idea of the cleansing in the heart, which George talked about. Very, very important. The question is, why do we have cleansing of the heart? And, you know, you won't see God if you don't have pure in heart, the pure in heart. To me, cleansing, and there's different ways. There's a, there is a character issue in cleansing. There's a morality issue in cleansing. But more, one of, another dimension of looking at is cleansing of the heart is in order to, to expand the capacity of your inner being to be filled fully with God's presence. It, it expands the capacity and the ability of your spirit to, in, to interact with the, 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 the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I have also, that has led me to understand the fullness of the Spirit in a little different way as well. 
In the Western world, we often talk about being filled with the Spirit like, now this gets into with our physical bodies now, like a con- our physical bodies are like containers. So to be filled, with, when we're filled with the Spirit, in the Western rational mind, what it means is the Holy Spirit is poured like, like this is our body, then the Holy Spirit is poured inside us. But in reality, God never created the body to be a container. This is another whole dimension of understanding, starting to grasp more. Is the body really is a vehicle through which the Holy Spirit moves. It's not... So when we, we, we use the English word fill, we use the concept of container. But fullness is the reality of the Holy Spirit, and the age of the body does not matter. This is another thing that's so important, because because God created our body to be a vehicle of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within us, but the Holy Spirit also moves through us. And the Holy Spirit surrounds us. In other words, there your body is not a hard shell container. It is literally a vehicle of the Holy Spirit. This leads us into an understanding of the resurrected body. The resurrected body, which we are, to ex- we are experiencing now, I believe, in a portion, not in its fullness, but in a portion, we are receiving the resur- we are experiencing the resurrected body because the resurrected body is not a non-material body. It will be a physical body. We know this that the resurrection, Jesus, it simply means a a body in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so, in light of that. When you see icons, this is something that we know, icons, you often see, we call them halos, but there'll be circles around the head of all, why is that? Because in the early fathers, they always understood the Holy Spirit moved out of the body. It moved, your body was never a container. So we want the fullness of the Holy Spirit and this, many passages have, I understand better, especially in the life of Jesus. They come and they, they say, if I just touch his garments, I will be healed. But what, did he have magic garments? No. no. The spirit was moving through his body. In fact, one, the, 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 the parable, that, there's many other passages, but the parable where the, the woman that was bleeding came and touched behind him. He didn't even know he was touched. So he said, she, he stopped, he said, who touched me? And the crowd, you know, the disciples said, well, what's, Jesus, there's people all crowding all around you. And he said, yes, but power went out of my body. Power went from me. And this leads me to a, just a conclusion of a different way of looking at ministry. Ministry, to me, 
more and more is becoming an understanding of not of activity, but of impartation. Ministry is when the fullness of the Spirit, you're growing, and that's what it means, you're growing in the fullness of the Spirit, where the Spirit of God is not only within you, but around you and through you, that when you, and I consciously or unconsciously, when you speak with people, when you minister to people, there is an impartation of the life of God. Paul talks about his treasures within jars of clay. It, the, the Holy Spirit and Jesus ministers through us and touches and brings life to other people, whether we know it or not. It isn't an activity that we often consciously just do. And pretty soon, people begin, and you won't even be aware, people will say, you know, when you, you said something to me, at a certain time that just changed my life. Well, you were not even aware you said anything. You know, you weren't consciously thinking, oh, I'm going to give you a nugget of truth here. You know, follow this nugget of truth. It was the wisdom of God being imparted from what is dwelling within us and around us to others. And this is why the laying on of hands, why do we lay on of hands? Because the Spirit moves through our body. And uh, so I, the extension of this, of growing in our spiritual lives as living icons of God, of Jesus Christ, is that ministry takes on a totally different dimension of just than just doing activities or doing ministry, what we would call ministry activities. It is actually living a life to where when you interact with others, ministry happens. It's an impartation that occurs, and it's totally by the grace of God. In the more we grow in the Lord as living icons of God, reflecting the presence and beauty of God, people's lives are touched and healed, and God's extension of his kingdom occurred. Here, these are just some of uh, the things that I've been working through. And um, I hope they've helped.